Good morning. Welcome to LCC. If you're new with us, we are very grateful that you are here. Um, we hope you have a great experience. Um, my name is Colson Eaton. Um, I've uh, been here going to Lifeline ever since I was, well, ever, I think. Um, and um, I'm one of the youth volunteers, um, so on any typical Wednesday night, you can find me down here, along with several of the leaders, um, teaching the youth kids, and I'm um, just having a great time with them. Um, so I got involved with kind of student ministry and, and uh, kind of the volunteering stage. Um, been probably my freshman or sophomore year in high school, so the school I went to, they required um, student ministry credits um, for serving your community or doing this and that, and um, while well, a lot of my classmates were washing windows or cutting grass for free, I wasn't really about that. I'd like to get paid for what I do. Um, so it was about that time that the church kind of had an opening for um, a volunteer in the chaos group, which would be our middle school um, age group, um, so I decided to do that. And I think I was probably 14 or so. I wasn't much older than the kids I was supposed to be leading. Um, but it kind of started off as one of those things where um, I had to, you know, bring in my, my timesheet and kind of fill out what we did, the time I was there, and get my, you know, so I could get my credits. Well, I, I found that I actually really loved working with the kids and seeing them grow and come to know the Lord. And, you know, my favorite part about it was when the kids would actually come to me and say, hey, I want to lead a devotion. Um, and that just that kind of got me hooked. So here I am eight years later, um, and I'm grateful for the experience um, through continued ministry here at Lifeline. Um, I did want to say before I dive in, just give a shout out to uh, Brian Oaks. I think he's in here somewhere. He is right there. Um, Brian has been someone that I've looked up to. Maybe I, I'm, I'm not very good at telling people how I feel about them. Um, but he's just a guy that I have just looked up to for years. Um, when I started in chaos, he was also leading in chaos. And he, he's about six years older than I am, so he probably would have been around 20 or so. I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to tell how old you are up here. But, um, and now we lead the youth group together. He's kind of the leader. I'm kind of his little minion. Um, but I've grown up with him, and he's just someone that I just, I, I've come to really appreciate and value um, and um, just thank for, uh, what are you waving at? Oh, yes, this. Um, people are wondering why this. I am an impulsive sweater. Um, I'm just going to throw that. I meant to say that before I came up here, but uh, I don't know what it is. I'm really, I'm not too nervous, but these lights are hot, and I'm just going to say it. I just sweat. So, yes, I brought this, and I see people looking at it. But just, uh, just so you know what that is. Um, but anyway, Brian, love you, man. You're awesome. If you guys want your kids to grow, know the Lord, and, um, and just have a great time on Wednesdays, Brian's your hookup. Um, so, anyway, I'm just a 22-year-old house designer. I don't know any more than anyone else in this room. Um, but I'm very grateful that here at LCC I get to you know, come up here. And, and um, I'm not good enough, I know. But the beautiful thing about God is he makes anyone good enough. Um, you just have to be willing. Uh, from kings like David um, to the donkey who spoke and saved a man's life, I feel like I'd be a little bit more me. Um, but anyway, anyone's good enough when Jesus gets involved. So uh, before we dive into the word, um, let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us here, and God, just for the beautiful morning, and just, just the weather, God, just kind of, um, after all this rain and all this cold, God, just thank you for the beautiful days you've been given to us, and for the opportunity to come out here to church, and God, worship you, and hopefully learn a little bit more about you, Father. I just thank you that you are good, and that you are God, and that you are here. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so for the last several weeks, um, Pastor Kel has been talking about the different generations. 
um, and the way that each of them can serve and um, help grow the communities around them, the differences that they have, the struggles, and also the good things about the different generations. And um, um, so as I said, um, I'm 22. I was born in um, 98. So that puts me right smack in um, the Generation Z, kind of, well, not really smack, kind of the, the gray area a little bit. So Kel's like, hey, you want to go up there and talk about Gen Z? And I was like, well, I mean, don't tempt me with a good time. So, um, so here you are, um, Gen Z, you know, no bias, I promise. Um, but anyway, um, so there's kind of some confusion um, on kind of when the cutoff is for Gen Z. So Gen Z and millennials, uh, millennials end in 95 to the 97 period. That's when Gen Z kind of comes in, and then Gen Z ends in the 2013 to 15 period. Um, so they are currently between 6 and 25 years old, give or take a few years, um, and they currently make around 68 million or 28%, or excuse me, 20% of the, po- of the population. Um, so just a little bit of kind of history on Gen Z. Um, this is something I came across. Um, it's a study done by Beloit College in Wisconsin, um, what they do is they produce an annual um, college freshman mindset list. And basically they kind of see kind of where their um, students are coming from, where their new students um, are coming from. And so um, so for the first year in college in 2015, uh, mostly were, most of them were 18 and were born in 97. So here are the few observations they made about their freshman class. So since Gen Z um, has been on the planet, hybrid cars have always existed. And I don't know who the designer of that thing, but that's pretty hideous. But I guess that's par for the course for your 90s era, I guess. Um, Google has always existed, and its founding words to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible. And all the conspiracy theorists are probably starting to get a little nervous in here. I know there's a lot of whatever's about Google. I'm not going to get all into that, but whatever. Um, email has become the formal communi- communication, while texts and tweets are set aside as casual. Um, Gen Z has always grown up asking for the Wi-Fi password. Um, cell phones have become the new norm for teachers to battle in class. They don't know if the kids are taking notes like they're supposed to or planning the next party after the football game. Um, proud parents record their first steps with massive, bulky camcorders. Um, when I was looking up for a picture, I was like, well, I mean, I guess that's kind of what it was. I kind of remember we had one, and, and I was actually talking with Kel about this, and I didn't even know what they were called that went in them things. I think I called it like a VHS tape or something like that. I, I know we have a whole box of them, and we, you know, we'll, we'll watch them every now and then, but uh, yeah, that's it, I guess. So anyway, um, and then Michael Jordan won his last championship in 98, and um, I'm not even sure if I was born then, but I've watched that game many times, and for those of you who say, LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. We're going to leave a little bit of time for you to exit now because that is not the case. Um, so anyway, um, a crazy fact. Kids born in 2000 are no longer teenagers. That's crazy. Gen Z is growing up in a, uh, in a post-9-11 world. Um, I can vaguely remember as a three-year-old um, sitting on the floor with my mom and you know, her, she was, I think she was on the couch watching it and it's kind of one of those things where it's like a snapshot in my mind. I can kind of see it a little bit like the TV, and I knew something was wrong because my mom was all worried and this and that. But I didn't really know the, the significance of it. Um, so Gen Z is growing up in a time where terrorism is the new normal, and isn't that the truth? They have not only seen foreign and domestic terrorism, but also the crash of two economies, 2000 and 2008. Um, new York Times said this of Gen Z, quote, 
Gen Z, by contrast, has had its eyes open from the beginning, coming along in the aftermath of those cataclysms in the era of the war on terror and the Great Depression. So as Gen Z developed their personalities in a socioeconomic environment marked by chaos, uncertainty, and complexity, it's no surprise that blockbusters like The Hunger Games or Divergent, both of which I've watched, and I can say that their depictions of teens left alone to face a grim future um, is definitely true. And that's something that, if you know anything about this generation, that it is extremely... Just do a little bit of research on Gen Z and you will find that this is very true. And this is why movies like these are huge. Um, is because a lot of the teens can definitely see the whole... Their cities getting destroyed, you know, terrorism rampant, and then they're left alone. So they've come to acknowledge chaos and then constant changing ideologies pushed by mainstream media and other social influencers as the new norm, leaving a trail of insecurity and question of self-worth. James Emery White, author of the book uh, Meet Generation Z, it's a fantastic read if anyone wants to go read it. Um, it just it, it has a lot to do of how Generation Z came to be. I mean, not really the way they are, but yeah, kind of the way they are, and also millennials. Um, so he said this of the 2015 terrorist attack on Paris. It says, many of the young people I encountered and talked to about the attack were shocked, but not surprised. They had come to view this sort of a travesty as something that was not new anymore. More than that, it was normal. Attacks like these are not simply reality, but what life has come like for many of the young people of today's generation. Their coping mechanisms have led to a strong sense of independence and entrepreneurial spirit, as many kids growing up, growing up have come to have a strong distrust of government and foreign entities. Um, just how I feel personally, um, growing up in this time, um, it is, I mean, that, that quote right there, shock but not surprised, that is something that is, has never before been seen in the generations, um, millennials maybe a little bit, but Gen Z, I mean, even me, just, just thinking about, you know, your ISIS's and, and, and the bombing, constant bombings of the Middle East and, and the terrorist attacks and the mass shootings and all these things going on, um, it is definitely... It makes you definitely kind of feel like um, the future is a little uncertain. And even, you know, older people saying, you know, I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to be. I've, I've heard this many times. I've, I'm glad I'm not going to live to see what you're going to see. I'm just kind of like, cool. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so that quote is definitely something that me being Gen Z can definitely um, uh, see. Um, a study by Northeastern University found that nearly 42% of the people that they interviewed expect to work for themselves during their careers. This is Gen Z that they're interviewing. Um, Gen Z is marked by a very strong sense of wanting to make a difference and thinking that they can. Very cool. So here's where parents and grandparents are going to uh, groan a little bit. Um, so the average teen will spend somewhere around seven hours or more a day on some sort of electronic device. Wisdom and information are seemingly farther and farther apart as Gen Z have the ability to go search something on their phone and, you know, some crazy topic and um, find it instantly. Problem with that is a lot of times, um, instead of doing their research, instead of us doing our research, because I'm very much more of Gen Z, um, you know, they go to their favorite influ social influencer, you know, whether it's their favorite sports figure or dancer or singer or whatever it is, and they automatically view that as their source of um, wisdom. So according to eMarketer, in the U.S., kids are most likely to be gifted with gaming drives and TVs between the ages of 4 to 7. 8 to 11 jumps more to gaming consoles and music players. 
I remember when I got uh, my first little MP3 player. I couldn't find a picture of it. But it was about that big around and about that long, and it was loaded with 10 songs. And one of them, my absolute favorite one, um, you know, we didn't listen, or I didn't, when I was that young, I didn't listen to these little, these rappers and, you know, this and that, because they weren't very relevant, I guess. I don't know, maybe they were. Maybe my parents just didn't want me to have any fun. But they put a, um, there was one that was, it was a Davy Crockett song about him trying to survive in the wilderness. Yeah, Isaiah knows. Um, so, I, you know, I'd get my coonskin hat and I'd get my BB gun and my hatchet and I'd go out in the woods as a little 10-year-old and try and survive. And, and I can just remember that song, you know, I'd have that in my mind, talking about him, you know, uh, you know, taking on a bear, barehanded, and just all these things. And generally, what that would end up is something getting shot that shouldn't have been shot. And then Colson wouldn't have his BB gun for several weeks. Um, but anyway, that's just, I, it's a crazy memory to me, and that's back before, you know, you had your iPods and can go on there and download any music you want. Um, so boomers can't remember a time without TV. Millennials can't remember a time without computers. And Gen Z can't remember a time without the constant, immediate, and convenient access to the web. 92% of Gen Z say they go online daily. 25% say they, go, they are constantly online. And 91% of them Go to bed with their device. Gen Z likes their technology and are good at it. So that can kind of seem a little bit daunting. Um, Gen Z is marked by all kinds of amazing things. They're they're very strong-willed. They're very um, uh, free. They like to make their own choices. They're they're driven. Um, All which is very good things, but they're also very insecure. Um, They can tend to be, well, very worried about the future, and that's something that I can definitely... Um, see myself, but you know, the good thing for us is we know what the future holds and we know that Christ is in it no matter what happens. Um, but one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Moses. Um, for me personally, I love picking characters in the Bible that I can, I can resonate with and I can kind of see their struggles and, you know, and what they went through. And, and one thing I love about the Bible is there's all kinds of different people with different problems in there. And, and I feel like that reaches a much broader crowd. Um, and you, people can see the struggles from different, different characters, not really characters, but different um, uh, contributors. Um, so but Moses was a man with hurts. He was a man with fear and anxiety. Um, he was a man unsure of how a, a married guy could help God and um, grow his kingdom. Um, just a little backstory to Moses' life. Um, the Israelites, Moses' people, um, had been in captivity by the Egyptians. Um, the Egyptians at this time were one of the major superpowers of the world. You did not go against them, which is just even cooler, um, this story, because, you know, not only did God pick um, one of the, you know, the biggest superpowers in the world to go up against. Um, so the Egyptians, um, the, excuse me, the Israelites had grown into a large nation under captivity. Um, the Egyptians became scared that they were going to lose their grip on them. And so basically the Pharaoh, which is basically Egypt, uh, version, Egyptian version of a king, says this, he's like, basically it's a mass genocide. He says, all right, well, here's what we're going to do about it. We're going to um, kill every um, newborn boy, and we're going to let all the girls live. Um, and so this is how they're going to deal with it. We're going, they basically like, we're going to shrink their numbers. We're just going to start killing off all the little infant boys. Um, and so here's, this is what Moses is born into. So Exodus 2, um, 1 through 10, kind of just explains a little bit of the, the backstory to it. So, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. 
kind of makes you wonder if he wasn't a fine child, if she wouldn't have hit him for three months. Like, what may, I mean, we've all seen infants, like, I mean, what, he have a lot of hair or something? I mean, what makes him fine? They all kind of look the same. But anyway, um, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile, which is also very much infested with crocodiles. Um, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So here's Moses. Um, this is what made Moses Moses. Um, he grew up in luxury, had all that he could ever have. Here he was, a prince of Egypt. Um, but he was ruling over his own people. He was basically keeping in captivity and in some cases might have been beating his own people. We don't know that, but it says a lot of the other people in charge of him were. Um, so I, you can very much feel that, or I mean, I feel like a lot of people can definitely resonate with this, you know, not really feeling like you belong in one camp or the other. Here he was, you know, he was, he was a prince. He had all he could ever have, but he was really supposed to be out there. And you can't help but wonder if maybe he would, he would walk out there and, you know, the, the Israelites would be, you know, making the bricks for the pyramids or whatever they were doing and looking at him thinking, you should be here with us. And then he'd go back inside where, you know, he supposedly belonged and they're like, no, you belong out there. Maybe some of the other boys were jealous of him, I don't know. But you can definitely see that that might, might would have been the case. Um, so the rest of his time in Egypt pretty much goes like this. He's seen an Egyptian beating one of the Israelite slaves um, in anger. He kills the Egyptian. Um, Pharaoh finds out, wants to kill Moses. Moses flees to Midian, and that's where he remains for 40 years. He got married and started working for his stepfather, herding sheep. So, you know, just kind of humble. Um, you know, he, he was actually in Midian for quite a while. I think I read somewhere that he was actually 80 when the Lord came and spoke to him in the desert. No, I, he was there for quite a while. I should have looked that up, but I forgot to. Um, so this is Moses. This is how he grew up and where he currently was um, when God asked him to lead his people out of captivity. And just, just um, we're not going to get into all the detail, just so we don't have time, but Exodus is just loaded with amazing miracles and detail of how God used Moses and, and the miracles that he performed. Um, it really is um, really cool. I would encourage everyone, if you don't know the story, go, go give it a read. Um, so God asked Moses to lead his people. Moses is basically like, who am I? that I should lead your people out of the pretty much number one superpower at this time. Um, he says, what if they don't listen to me? God says, tell them I am who I am. Um, and he's still, it's not good enough. And, and the story of Moses, to me, from what I've read, is one of the most miracle-loaded stories that, that I personally have studied and got into. Um, basically, Moses is extremely insecure, doesn't think hardly anything of himself, so God's like, all right, well, here, that staff in your hand, throw it down, and it turns into a snake. I mean, like, what is that? And he picks it up by the tail, and it comes back into the staff again. Still not good enough. So he's like, all right, well, put your hand in your coat pocket. Pulls it back out, and it's leprosy all over the place. Puts it back in, as good as new. Moses is still not buying it. He's like, you know what? I'm not good enough. I cannot do this. 
And so it's kind of funny, um, but we pick up in verse 10, and this kind of cracks me up a little bit because I, I came across this, and uh, this is in chapter 4. But So they're going on you know, before this, kind of going back and forth. This one, but he finally says, pardon your servant, Lord. So it's kind of like he knows he's getting on God's nerves at this point. He knows he's made about every excuse he can, and he's still not willing to do anything about it. He says, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never, never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He's seemingly using any excuse he can to get out of what God is calling him to do. And for me, that's definitely stepping on my toe, toes because, yeah, I do that all the time. Um, so God's anger burns against him and says, what about, asking him about his brother Aaron. Um, God wants to use Moses and has a specific task assigned to him, but Moses is unwilling. So God is willing to actually bring someone alongside him and kind of complete him, so to speak, to give Moses the courage to go and do this thing that God's asking of him. Um, and well, that's kind of where we're going to end with the whole Moses story. That's kind of how, how he was, the insecurities that he had. Um, worried about, definitely worried about the future, um, going up against Pharaoh, who was kind of be his uncle, technically. Actually, I think he was his brother at this time. His uncle had died off, and now his brother is the Pharaoh. Um, but there's, man, there's loaded, the, the rest of the story is loaded with miracles to, you know, splitting the Red Sea in half to a pillar of fire, pillars of smoke, manna, which is some kind of bird, I guess, when the Israelites were starving, water coming from rocks, the whole the whole story is one miracle after the other because Moses, even though he's doing this, he's still insecure. And God knows that he's going to have to continue to kind of, you know, so to speak, give him breadcrumbs along the way. And it's really cool because God's willing to do that. Um, so what are those excuses for us? We don't have the time. Our work's getting in the way. For me, especially, it's time and money. I don't like to give up my money, nor do I like to give up my time. Um, you know, for people in here, maybe it's, I'm, I'm too busy. Um, you got to pick up the kids from practice. I don't have to deal with that. So that's y'all's problem. But, uh, you know, no, there, if we really want to start thinking of reasons we can't do something, there's an en- there's endless, um, lists of why God can't use us or why we say God can't use us. Um, I personally contend to struggle with what others think of me. In terms of being a success and making something of myself, what will people say of Colson Eaton when he's 40 um, or 50 or 60 or however? Um, I find that the more and more I worry about myself, the less and less um, I find myself thinking that I can make a difference in God's kingdom. Um, yet God is good, and he's always there with answers um, that I and that we need. Um, just like with Moses, we can always rely on God to give us the answers we seek. We provide the reasons why we can't. And God provides the reasons why we can. You never know if God's just waiting for it to bring you your own errand to help you along. Or if you're keeping someone else from being led by God, by your unwillingness, our unwillingness. Um, for me personally as well, I just it's extremely easy for myself to compare um, myself to other men and women in the Bible. Um, whether it's the courage of, and bravery of David or the speaking ability. One thing I, I really... Um, Paul's ability to, to portray his message in a letter and really kind of sound the battle cry. I'm, I'm really jealous of how Paul can do that. Um, and, but then I think, do I really want to be like these people and struggle with the things that they struggled with? David was a strong warrior. Um, he was a man after God's own heart, they say. Um, he had pretty much everything he could ever wanted. Um, 
yet he slept with another man's wife, found out she was pregnant, and had the husband killed. Solomon was considered the wisest man on earth. He had the rich, all the rich, riches that he could ever want. Um, he had the respect from other kings and queens. He would actually lecture um, other nations. Yet he started straight up sacrificing other gods and worshiping other gods because of the many wives that he had. Um, Paul, before he killed numerous believers, thousands of believers, excuse me, before he wrote numerous books um, and started many churches, he, killed, um, he was a notorious killer of believers. He would put to the sword and stone anyone who said that they believed in Christ. All these people, they had to follow the same commandments we did. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. All these things that we have to follow, they struggled with, and yet they were used by God. All he required was obedience from them. He knows we're human. He knows we struggle. Jesus was human. He lived with us, did life with us. He knows our heart, our hurts, our busy schedules, and our excuses. Jesus makes unqualified qualified. It doesn't matter what excuse we give him that says we can't. Jesus says we can. Um, so just, just for me personally, growing up kind of, you know, back to the Gen Z as we kind of see Moses and the struggles that he had and how God used his drive and his ability to lead others, which is something that Gen Z is very much um, marked by. Um, for me personally, it, it, it's kind of tough sometimes to see the older generations constantly um, berating and downing um, Gen Z and millennials. I don't really care about millennials, though, because that's not my generation, so say what you want about them. They are kind of weird. Um, no, but, uh, I mean, if, and if, if you want proof, just go on any kind of Facebook thread about today's generation or any kind of um, really social media platform. Um, there is a lot of hate and a lot of um, negativity thrown the Gen Z direction. But also this, Gen Z is struggling with things that not other generations have had to struggle with. Um, and just seeing, it breaks my heart, just seeing youth kids on Wednesday nights come in and just be like, they just kind of feel, just honestly kind of just worthless. Select one of them to do, because they're just like, you know, I, man, I can't do anything right. You know, I struggle with all these things, and, and as we mentioned before, all the things that make this generation the way it is, you know, the, the uncertainty, the, the, you know, where is this life going, the constant hearing of, man, the future just looks grim. And so it's kind of like, well, no wonder this generation is, or we are how we are. Um, but it really just breaks my heart to see youth kids come in and just, and just be like, man, I'm just not really looking much forward to the future because they're saying that it's just not looking very good. Um, so anyway, and I actually, I had, a, I had a meeting with a guy at work. This had been about kind of right when COVID was hitting and all the politics were crazy and this and that. And, and we were in the, sitting down in the conference room kind of going over his stuff. And he was just a cool guy. He was probably... You know, 60 or 70, however, I don't know how old he was, but he was older. Not that 16, 70 is old. You know, it's getting there, but not too that old. Um, so we were kind of going over this stuff, and we just started talking. I bet we talked for probably 30 minutes, and he just started saying, you know, he's like, how old are you? I was like, well, I was 21 at the time. He's like, man, you are going to see some stuff. And uh, he was like, I am so glad that I'm getting out of here before too long. Again, not that 60 or 70, you're going anywhere, but he was acting like he was. Um, he was just, he was, he was basically telling me that, you know, I'm glad I'm not going to see the things you're going to be or in your lifetime. And, um, just kind of, I kind of walked out of there. I was like, well, this day is kind of shot, you know, kind of like, cool, man. Thanks for the pep talk kind of thing. But, um, it definitely is something that weighs on my mind. 
Um, and so what, what I would love, I'm very grateful that a lot of my dad's friends, um, I count on them to be my friends. I'm very good friends with them. And y'all know who y'all are in here, but y'all don't know. I can never tell y'all how much y'all mean to me. Um, but just the constant speaking of life into my, or speaking wisdom into my life. And just as a challenge, just to the older generations, use the drive and the energy of the younger generation and speak life into that and encourage that because that's what we need. Um, we need, um, you know, the wisdom of the older generations and the, the uh, knowledge of the uh, other generations. Um, so here's a question for you. Um, is it possible for a church to truly and wholly make an impact on a community? Is it possible for a group of believers to say enough is enough and step in and do something to grow God's kingdom and to establish Christ's vision for the church, which is ultimately rooted in the community, which is what we've been talking about through this whole generation series. Um, Jesus sought after those around him. He went after the Gentiles who knew nothing of him, the lepers on the outside of the community who weren't allowed to come in and be with those um, that they loved, um, the beggar who begged on the sides of the streets for any little scraps that he could, the prostitute who just came out of that guy's house, he said, those are the people that I want to go after. And he did. Um, what would that look like today? Would that look like um, the homeless guy pushing a shopping cart up there to the Love's gas station that you see all the time? Or how about the shacks on those certain roads that you don't go down because you know well, there's some kind of questionable people down there? Or the guy on the, the corner of the street with his cardboard sign saying, I need help. And not viewing them as someone that we can throw our charity toward and make us feel better about ourselves, but someone who, like us, very much needs Jesus each and every day. Um, I love this church, and I uh, love how one of our primary goals is to get out in the community um, around us. I think we do a great job of that. And one of the ways we continue to do this is just to work together, young, old, weak, strong, everyone. Um, Jesus gives us the authority to bring others to him. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, um, Jesus says this, um, and Jesus said, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a verse, especially for these times right now. What a verse. I mean, even here, me saying that these times right now, um, just knowing that God is with us and that he gives us the authority and the power to go out and serve him. He literally says, my father says, I have all the power and authority of heaven and earth. Through me, you have that power. It's kind of like when, you know, you're going up to a, an argument with some kid, and he's like, well, my dad said this. I mean, that's a little bit how this is right here. Like, he literally has given me this power, and I give to you through me. Um, how much more reassurance do we really need? Um, he was human. He was around humans. He gets it. He knows how we think because he was one of us. He talked with us, walked with us. He just simply tells us to trust him, to trust that through him that we are good enough, that anyone can be good enough, young and old, weak and strong. You want reassurance? Just open up the Bible and start reading it. It's littered with stories of countless men and women who were flawed just like we are flawed, who needed things just like we needed things, who struggled with the commandments just like we struggled with commandments. And yet all he required of them was a willingness Willingness to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Um, so if the praise and worship team wants to go and come on up, I probably should have told you this a little earlier. Um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then they're going to close us out. So let's pray.
Father, right now, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are good. And um, I thank you, God, that you can use us no matter, God, what we've done, the bridges we've burned, the hurts we've caused, um, the things that people don't know about that we do in secret. God, it's nothing new. It's nothing that no one else has ever, ever struggled with. And I thank you, God, that even with that, through you, Jesus, that you can still use us to impact countless communities, countless people, God, and countless lives. I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are here with us. And I thank you um, for the opportunity to come up here, God, and just, and just speak, Father. I pray for the generations, God, that we would grow together. Um, and God, just link arms in a brotherhood, God, and just say, not on my watch. This community is our um, priority, Father. I thank you that you are good. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.